Blog Talk Radio. Another edition of Chatting with Dr. Leonard Richardson. Now, there's good news and sad news. The sad news is Dr. Richardson isn't going to be with us today. He has a doctor's appointment. But between him and his sister, they run to doctors on Saturdays. But the good news is, good news is plural, or <laughs> however you want to put it, we have several pieces of good news. There you go. One, we have our guest with us today, Dr. Ronald Harrigan. Well-known young man from CVI, then UVI, now retired, and then back teaching again at UVI. Leslie, welcome to our guest, Dr. Ronald Harrigan. Good morning, Dr. Harrigan. Hey, good afternoon there. It's a pleasure to be on your show. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to having a nice discussion and talk with uh, your listening audience today, so I'm there looking forward to that. Thank you very much for being here. Okay. Now, stand by for a second because I have some surprises for you. Now, there were several folks who were interested to know what's on the agenda today, and I pass on the word. They said, oh, we would love to be there. Let me say a few words to uh, to to uh, Dr. Harrigan. Well, one lady's mm-hmm. in New York, and she is not able to come and call in today because it's a Sabbath day. But nevertheless, she took time to do a little surprise for you. Here it goes. <laughs> she did it on this tape. This is Sophie Schiller coming to you from Brooklyn, New York. It's so nice to speak to the people of the Virgin Islands about the subject I love most, history. And thank you, ATN, for asking me to join you on this special broadcast with Dr. Ron Harrigan. Growing up in St. Thomas, I was intrigued by the lessons of Mrs. Grady, who instilled in all her students a love and fascination with the islands of the West Indies, such that when I grew up, I wanted to learn more about the history and dig a little deeper into the stories that never made it into the history books. So when I set about writing my novel, Transfer Day, which tells the last few months about the transfer of 1917, I consulted books and historians and spoke with people whose families lived through that time, and luckily I made some discoveries that turned out to be gold. Lost in the sands of time was the fact that the Hamburg America Line office in St. Thomas was acting as a secret German naval intelligence operation. I never would have found this out had I not dug deeper into the archives or spoken to people with family roots in the Danish West Indies and whose ancestors had lived there and by their actions become a part of history. There's so much history that has not been recounted. I think anyone who has an interest in their roots and in their family's unique story should ask their grandparents and great-grandparents to tell the stories and to write them down because based on my own experience, you're going to strike gold. You'll find out things that will amaze you and inspire you. You'll discover that the past is vibrant and exciting and has so many lessons for us all. We can learn so much about ourselves and the world we live in by studying history. So for those students and even retired adults who want to bridge this gap of knowledge, I encourage you to find these stories and write them down. Share them with the world. Whenever I find myself stymied or at a roadblock, I know I must dig further because it's only by relentless searching and digging that you will find gold. You don't need a history degree to become a history researcher. You just need passion and a belief in yourself, and you need tenacity. The hallmark of a great researcher is a person who never gave up. So for everyone out there who wants to delve into their family roots, now is the best time in in history. Danish archives have been digitized, and they're looking for volunteers to transcribe these records. This is a good place to start. You can also volunteer at the Caribbean Genealogy Library at the St. Thomas Historical Trust and with the Centennial Commission or at the many libraries throughout the territory. Don't be afraid to take that first step. There's a learning curve in any new endeavor in life, and you can overcome this by reading books, watching historical documentaries, and engaging your family to open up their memory books and share the past. And there you have it from Sophie Schiller, the author of Transfer Day, the novel. 
Yes, 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 yes. She's really passionate about researching and education on the islands. Yeah, and I can she's tell another, that. Yeah. yeah, she's another digger for information, and she does her research very well. I had the opportunity of uh, picking her up at the airport, and she stayed right next door to me at Ronnie's house. The, uh, okay. Yes. Nevertheless, let me tell the audience a little bit more about Sophie. Now, Sophie was born in Patterson, New Jersey, and grew up in the Virgin Islands. Among other other teas, her family tree contains a Nobel Prize winning physicist and a French wow. pop singer. Sophie loves stories that carry the reader back in time to exotic and far-flung locations. She was educated at the American University in Washington, D.C., and now lives in Brooklyn, New York. She's also the author of Race to Tibet, and is currently working on another novel. It's called Island of Internal Fire. It's a, tr- a thriller set in Martinique during the deadliest volcanic disaster of the 20th century. That's amazing. I just couldn't let her go yeah. by without being here on saying a word to you. Although she couldn't do it in person, she did it on yeah. my way of recording. So have you had a chance to meet with her? Have you met her before? No, I don't remember meeting her, but I look forward to that the one day. Oh, she sure. will. Yes, 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 yes. And if that's that. not enough, I have another little piece of information for you. Dr. Sure. Amory Crone couldn't be here, but he sent a written report, a written com- commentary. And I'd like to read it to you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You have uh, partners, you have friends so along, around yeah, the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were Rotarians yeah. and everything together. Yes. Jimmy, exactly, exactly. I think it'll be right up your alley. <laughs> okay, here's what Dr. Amory Caron has to say. He says, Dr. Ron Harrigan is an old friend and brother Rotarian. As a student, he was well-liked by students and the faculty. He was good in academics and sports. After graduation, Dr. Arthur Richards mentored him for a career in the administration of student affairs. After obtaining a PhD in education, he taught graduate education courses, and I'm assuming that's at UVI. He yeah. has been involved in the management of sports activity at UVI and in the USVI Olympic as an Olympic Committee member. As president of the VI Genealogy Society, he's been very effective in organizing visits to other genealogy societies in Tortola, Puerto Rico, San Domingo, and Cuba with the view of finding long-lost U.S. Virgin Islands family members. Man, Ron, you're all over the place, Dr. Harrigan. <laughs> yeah, I am, I am, I am, I am. Yeah, great, great, great. I love well, it. That's a Virgin Islands, a wonderful thing. So <laughs> today I've asked you to be here because you have a book coming up, but you've also been in my class talking about development of education in Danish West Indies. What can you tell us about that? Well, um, again, thank you for the invitation to talk to your listening audience. Uh, sure. It's uh, always a pleasure for me to share with uh, with those persons who are interested in the history of Virginia. I'm not a historian by profession, but a histor- I'm a historian by because I love history. I've, I've, always, yes. I've always loved history. And, I, yeah. uh, you know, when you have a hobby like history, yes. historical research, you spend more time doing that than you, you do in your profession. <laughs> It's but uh, but really, yes, it's just uh, you love the passion, yeah. But uh, I've been doing a lot of work on the, um, on, as a matter of fact, I teach, let me just go back and tell you, as Dr. Caron mentioned in his letter, that I do teach, uh, I've been teaching in the graduate program at UVI since 1990, and then wow. since 19, since about 19, um, 1901 or something, I started to teach in the uh, undergraduate program. Uh-huh. Where I began uh, teaching the history of uh, the history of Virgin Islands education because I felt that many of the teachers who are going into the school system had yeah. no idea of the history of the uh, of the Virgin Islands education. They may yeah. they may have some knowledge of Virgin Islands history, but a history of Virgin Islands education, a lot of them were were not familiar with that. And I yeah. thought it my best to let me educate those people about. Uh, all our students coming in, taking the foundations yes. class, that we are to teach them that. And secondly, uh, there's no history book. There's no textbook about yeah. the history of Virginia's education. So while the textbook I was using talk about the foundations of American education, 
I had to put together um, some uh, my own my own notes and so on and literature uh, from wherever I can get it from to mm-hmm. to inform our students about the history of Virgin Islands education. So I've been doing that for several years, over ten years, because of fifteen or twenty wow. years now, and uh, I'm looking forward to one of these days. Uh, publishing a book, like when I mentioned that the other day, one of the students said, "Well, Dr. Harrigan, why don't you publish a book?" I said, "Yes, I'm working <laughs> on it, so, so I'm doing that, you know." But uh, yeah, basically, what it's all about is um, my focus is, is to show that uh, that the education system in the United States of Virgin Islands, formerly the Dennis West Indies, uh, was based yeah. on three major pillars. One, uh, the system of education that was introduced by the Lutherans, the yeah. system of education that was introduced by the um, by the Moravian missionaries, and of course the system of of course the contributions made by the African the enslaved Africans. They also had a role to play in building the uh, the foundations here, the three pillars that I'm talking about. Yeah. And uh, and pe- people don't people don't realize that, but really that's a part of our history. Of course, the Lutherans were the first to set up some kind of system, uh, even back in 1695, around the time 1696, around the time uh-huh. they started basic foundation. Uh, they were teaching uh, the children of of, uh, of the plantation owners and the uh, the planters. It wasn't a big a uh, big program, but enough to uh, for those parents uh, who couldn't afford to send their kids away. They, uh, they provided some semblance of education opportunity for the uh, the plantation the children of plantation owners and so on. Me, me, and me, then, of me, course, hello. Me, yeah, let me interrupt you. Quick, one quick, quick, quick question or two. When you talk about plantation, you you talk primarily about Saint Croix. Well, no, because we have plantation on Saint John too, and we have we have plantation oh, on Saint three John. islands. But but okay, basically, okay. Saint Croix was the major the major yes. plantation uh, okay. society. But we did okay. have plantations on all three islands. It's yeah. just that, uh, but it, but yeah, so the Danes, yeah, the Danes, the Danish uh, missionaries. This, the, what they were doing is they were, they this was a, like a, 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 an introduction to some kind of system where they provided yes. some limited educational opportunities for the children of uh, of white 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 plantation owners, those who couldn't afford to send yes. their kids back to Europe or so on. So that's how yeah. that's how their program started out, and as you know, the Dane, the Dane, the Danish government and the Lutheran Church got their foundation in education from Martin Luther, uh, the who uh, who established the Lutheran Church, and so on. So their foundation came out of his teachings, and and so on. And then and then of course in 1732, we had the introduction of the Moravian missionaries, who yeah. came here. On the, on the request of a of a gentleman uh, by the name of uh, Van Loos, Loos Van uh, Zendendorf, and and he was very instrumental in getting the Moravian missionaries to come to the islands and begin to do uh, and set up an education program among the enslaved population. Now, yeah. uh, people have to understand that the Moravian the Moravians, like the Lutherans, really, uh, they believe that um, in order to gain salvation, to go to heaven, you have to read the Bible. And mm-hmm. the only way to read the Bible is to teach people how to read. <laughs> you have to educate <laughs> the people on how to read. And, yeah. and their mission, really, uh, was to begin the whole process of educating the enslaved population on how to read how to read the Bible so that they can understand the peace precepts and the, uh, whatever was in the Bible that would allow them to gain salvation. So, okay. so that's the that's the second pillar. That's how that started out. <laughs> this is how the whole thing started. And then, of course, as they get as they went along uh, more into this program, they we found that um, that uh, the Danish and the Moravian uh, missionaries got together, and they, yeah, especially the Moravian missionaries. Because what's interesting about the Moravian missionaries uh, is that they they were heavily involved with the slave population. They they worked with wow. the slaves in the field, even though they owned some slaves, but they worked with the slaves. 
and, and they were not afraid to take the the, the, the best known and the, those those slaves that were well learned to let them be in charge of uh, of oh. some lessons and so on. So that was that's wow. interesting about the Moravians. Uh, they were yes. like the Lutherans. The Lutherans didn't do that at all. But the Moravians <laughs> took the best, well-learned, well-behaved, most-mannered uh, slaves and, and taught them how to teach the Bible. And, oh. uh, and they, were, they were given that task. And um, or teach them how to sing, get the, get the, uh, get the congregation all uh, involved in, uh, in the whole religious uh, situation. And then, of course, uh, later on, when the uh, when the when the Danish government, along with the Lutheran people, acknowledged yeah. that the Moravians were best suited uh, to teach the enslaved population, then then they, they, they with the sanction of the Danish government, uh, you know, those uh, enslaved people, uh, some of them were free, of course. Uh, were able to take charge of, of classrooms and so on, and teaching mm-hmm. teaching the enslaved population and including the free the free the free and the free Africans on how to read and uh, and of course teaching about Christianity and so on. So 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 we have we have those three areas. And more more than anything else, what the what the Africans brought to the this foundation as we talked about. Uh, is yes. the storytelling and the cuisine, how to cook, what to cook, uh, uh, we call uh, medicinal plants and so on, um, and herbs and so on, how to use herbs to uh, cure illnesses and so on, um, storytelling and those kind of things. They were all part of this African contribution to the wow. system of education. So we have, we have the Danish people who came in with their philosophy of education taken from uh, Martin Luther. Then we have, uh, of course, the Moravian missionaries who came in, uh, of course, with uh, with their system of education based on um, their own uh, educational philosophers uh, that go all the way back to the 16th uh, century and so on and coming forward. So we really, we really had a solid foundation there in in a society of uh, of an enslaved population, which is really unheard of uh, at that time throughout the Caribbean, you know. Okay, imagine, so, yes. so that's the way we got to where, uh, of course, and we carried that forward all the way until until we had the system where the Danish government passed an ordin- ordinance in 1839 that made uh, education compulsory. For the children of slaves, uh, I mean that was that was amazing in and of itself. Here you had in a slave population, and imagine yeah. in a slave society you had compulsory education for the children of slaves. That was wow. amazing, and then that was that was about nine 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 years prior to emancipation. Wow. So so in the Danish West Indies at the time we really had uh, we really had an effort on the part of the uh, governor Van Schulten and and those people prior prior to his time. To find ways to uplift the, uh, the educational attainment of the uh, African population. Uh, wow! So the yeah, Africans it's very, very, very involved. interesting. Very interesting. Yes, very, very interesting. Uh, and, and and you know, and of course, over the years, after they passed that ordinance in 1839, and they agreed to uh, make uh, schooling compulsory. The Danish government proceeded to build schools, country schools, and Ooh. schools in the in the city area that would uh, that would that would uh, provide for educational opportunities for the for the African Americans and uh, African African Caribbean people in the in the society. Uh-huh. And of course, they 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 had the services of the Moravian people to help with the educational process. You know. And what's really interesting is that uh, in 1839, the Danish government decided to to have instruction in the school system in English rather than in Danish. That was that was very interesting. Very interesting. Now, how and, did you do that? And prior, and prior to that, well, the past but but prior to that, you need to know that the uh, that the Danish government. Uh, had uh, allowed the Moravian missionaries 
to instruct the slaves in the Danish Creole language. The Dutch Creole, oh. the Dutch Creole. The, the Dutch, Dutch Creole. Creole. You know, okay. Dutch Creole was a language, especially yes. in St. Thomas and St. And yes. John, that was spoken among the, among the African and enslaved population. So that's what in the common language was. A, well, a lot of English speaking over there, but in St. Thomas, the Dutch Creole was, was, was the main uh, okay. means of communication. Yes, that's what my question was going to be. What common language they had that the, the, the slave masters would be able to communicate with the Africans in round well, about? Well, so. they, well yeah, but again, we got to remember in St. Thomas and St. John, it was the, um, the Dutch Creole language in, yes. in St. Croix, basically English, because yes. you know the English was in there, in and out, and uh, in St. Croix. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's how that came about, and uh, so the Danish government was never really interested in in having the the, the African population or the population in Danish West Indies uh, mm-hmm. use use their language as a means of commerce, as a means of communication, as a means of what have you. Wow. Uh, it was basically the, uh, the the English language that, after 1839, became the official language in the territory to be used. And, and you know they uh, they use that and uh, throw and from from emancipation onward, uh, they they just keep continue to build on that foundation that was laid prior to emancipation, and by the time we get around to the American uh, system of education to 1917, when the Americans purchased the island, the the days are already at a foundation that from from almost preschool I would say. All the way up until about seventh or eighth grade, you know. Wow. So the American the Americans didn't have to do anything with the eighth, seventh or eighth grade because that was already in place already when in they place, came. Yeah. You see, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Solid foundation. You see. So yeah. it was very, very interesting uh, development we have in the Danish West Indies back then. Uh, it's not, it's not heard of in any Caribbean country where you had. And enslaved compulsory education for an enslaved population. That's not heard yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. No. And uh and and then allowing uh African African enslaved Africans to become funeral directors and choir leaders and wow. have them in charge of uh of a religious instruction uh, in some areas. And uh, you know, that's that's the <laughs> that's the atmosphere in which we we had uh the slave population in the Virgin Islands. Now, that's not to say that the draconian slave laws were not carried out because the Danish did yes. have some draconian slave laws. Uh, you yes. chop off a hand if somebody did something, you chop off a yes. foot, and some, you know. But uh, in the midst of all of that, we had a system of uh, of uh, education for the slave population. So yes. it's interesting how that, that came about, you know. Very it interesting. Is. Very interesting. Because... The slaves were given opportunities to have occupations and even professions, if you want to call it, power professions. The only thing they were not entitled to was pay. So they yeah, were working yeah, ahead exactly, at that time. Exactly. They were pioneers in more ways than one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that, mm-hmm. that, you're right about that. And I think yeah. um, when you study slavery throughout the rest of the Caribbean, that's not um, the, the, the slave the slave. The slave society in the Virgin Islands was was a little different. I mean, and I'm not saying that they they weren't harsh in in uh, in enforcing penalties on runaways and people who did well, they, uh sure. violated the the slave codes. But amongst that, you had you had a program by the Moravian missionaries and mm-hmm. the Danish uh, people who were who were very interested in providing some semblance of education. But enslaved population, and that's supposed to say that maybe they anticipated somewhere along the line that there will be uh, emancipation uh, later, uh, if not sooner. So they were, they were, I guess, they were trying to prepare the enslaved population for that eventuality, you know. Yeah. And by the time yes. it came, we had the personalities really. I, I always tell people that by the time of the transfer to the Americas. Uh, United States of America, we had a, a literate population, at least over 90%, 80 to 90% of wow. the population was a literate population. And uh, unlike the United States, where, where in many places 
uh, the enslaved population, you know, it was it was against the law to teach them how to read, to teach them all those things that we took for granted here in the Danish West Indies. Yeah. Uh, they they were not allowed to do it in the United States at all, especially in the southern con- uh, states, you know. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, my goodness. So, so we were... it's very, it's very, very, very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. I think we so we have we have a lot to talk about here on that subject, you know. I know, I know. So not only were the slaves in position as pioneers, but the whole system itself was a pioneering system, wasn't it? Yes, yes, yes. Because, uh, because... Because the the missionary work uh, by the Moravian was was really uh, instituted by Zendendorf. Uh, really, uh, his first I believe his first attempt was in the Danish West Indies, and after that was established, they went to Greenland. They went all over there. They went to United States, South America, other Caribbean wow. islands as well. But their first attempt uh, at this whole system of missionary work. <laughs> to some of these deprived populations were uh, was uh, was in the Danish West Indies, and they learned a lot from the experience here on how to go about uh, establishing missions in these other countries and and what to do and what to teach. So you see, so yeah, really yeah. this was a pioneering effort uh, on part of the Moravian, and also we must we must we must give credit to the Danes for. Uh, for wanting to allow the Moravians, which was a different denomination, yes. to conduct these these uh, these uh, educational programs among the enslaved population, even though they they were from two different religious uh, orientations, and yes. it says a lot for for uh, how the Danes felt about the work of the Moravians. Wow, interesting, interesting. It says a whole very 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 yes. interesting, yes, very interesting okay, development. Hold on a minute. Let me just uh, make an announcement about our phone call-in number. We'd like to have our audience call in with every questions or comments you might have. I'm trying to get Dr. Harrigan to come back next week if he has time. So please, if you don't get a chance to call him this week, by all means, make a note of this number because I'm hoping that he'll be here Mm -hmm. next week. Dr. Mm Harrigan, I'll put you on the spot. But the call in is (laughs) 347 I think I I'm know, going until uh, the, end of, the end of next week, yeah. Okay, good. The, yeah. the call-in they number is three. Your number, I believe, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning it now. The call-in number is 347-237-4374. Again, that number is 347-237-4374. Give us a call. We'd like to interact with you. Back to you, Dr. Harrigan. So where do we go from here? Yeah, I I think that uh, one of the things that we gotta we we must uh, acknowledge is that the the foundation that was laid uh, uh, for those who took it seriously because don't forget now not all not all the African American African Caribbean people here in the Danish West Indies yes. were were took advantage of all the opportunities that you always have in all societies you have. Some who were not taking advantage of something, yes. some of them yes. remained on the planet. But those who did were able to uh, advance themselves. We advance. have people like like Dr. Edward Wilmot Bryden, who was a yes. he, he was he was a free black, and uh, but he was well taught, well educated uh, under the Dutch system, the, the Dutch church uh, system in in, in St. Thomas. We had yes. Hubert Harrison in St. Croix, uh, a famous orator in New York City, who. Uh, who introduced Marcus Garvey to New York, uh, Hubert Harrison, wow. and a fierce, a fierce critic of uh, of Edward Edward Dubois. You know, oh, you gotta, you gotta, you, if you ever get a chance to read uh, yeah. Harrison's work, uh, Harrison's writing about Dubois is just is just amazing yeah. how uh, he was very critical of Dubois, and he, he was wow. the one who used to, I think he was the editor of a couple of Garvey papers, I believe. Yes, but he was. Oh. Excuse me. He was. Uh, he came from the Danish West Indies. I mean, the point being that the foundation of education that he had. By the time he went to New York, he uh, he finished up his high school in the yes. evening program there, and uh, and and was able to continue his education. And uh, simply because the foundation laid here was was very very good. And of course, you know that. Uh, Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton yes. was. Uh, he spent some of his formative years here in 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 the Virgin Islands in Saint Croix, 
and he was uh and then when Tammy went up there to the to the mainland uh he probably continued what in his education but he eventually ended up in uh, in Columbia University so but but he did spend his teen years in Virgin Island before going to the uh, United States and uh I'm sure that while he was there he was exposed to the educational opportunities that were provided by the Danes and the Moravians as well sure and there are many wow. others uh, who you can we can call who did an excellent job. I mean, who did well to represent the Virgin Islands uh, with the education that they received during the time that they were on the islands. Uh, they became world-renowned people. I mean, uh, yes. so so we have to give we have to give those people uh, who laid the three pillars uh, down <laughs> you know, for the system of education in the Virgin Islands to represent us well. Uh, once they left the islands, you know, and I think we we are yeah. proud of them for doing that. Oh yeah, they really made an impression mm-hmm. for us. Uh, oh yeah, on oh, yeah us definitely. And for us. Yes, yes, ah, yes, 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 yes. And, and what uh, about right now? Me, I love what. Well, yeah. What about uh, Mr. Hubert Harrison from St. Croix? He was there. <clears throat> he was there oh, at the same time right. with, uh, with uh, Garvey. With Garvey. In Harlem. Yeah, well, Harrison. Harrison was the one who introduced Margaret Garvey to New York. People don't know that. People, oh, yes, people don't. Yes. People that, but yes. that's, that's written. That's part of history. That's written. Yes. And uh, Harrison, Harrison, uh, he had there about three or four books out on Harrison. Oh, and yes. he was an intellectual. I mean, you got to, oh, yes. when you read it, for someone who, does not, who didn't have a college degree or university degree, very, very smart. He was, he was too intellectual. Yes. His writings, his writings are just, uh, just above, above anyone you can find with a university degree. And wow. he challenged. He was a communist, uh, part of the Communist Party in in, North, in the United States, uh, about socialism and so on. And um, he really, he really did a lot. He doesn't, he doesn't get credit for it. He did a lot to, uh, to expose the United States as racist. Uh, programs and activities. One of the things yeah. that one of the things that he disagreed with with Edward Dubois about was the uh, was was the issue about blacks serving in World War One. Uh, oh really? Dubois, the, yeah, Dubois felt that um, because the because of how the United States treated black is black is black is black citizens. Uh, that they should not serve in the war, whereas Dubois felt that as an American, uh, they should serve in the war, regardless of the way they were treated here in the United States. And Dubois mm-hmm. seriously objected to that and, and wrote a really critical letter to, uh, to Dubois about that, about his position on that, you know? Oh, and uh, it was really, really, very, really, you got to, you know, I, I wish my, my audience, could, your recent audience could get a hold of those uh that information it makes interesting reading because yes. it shows you that uh Dubois was challenged by by Harrison. And Harrison was no uh, was well known in New York circles uh in the first half of the twentieth century. You know, he was well known, very well known. Yeah. Yeah. He was an intellectual. He he just people he just respected him well. Uh, Another he, pioneer. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was uh he wasn't the, uh, he wasn't condoning a lot of the stuff that uh that um that Dubois and uh, of course Booker T. Washington was yes. uh, was condoning. So he, he was on the wrong side of the uh of the United States okay. government with the way <laughs> yes. in which he was advocating those things. He he doesn't feel that that um that that you know, the the blacks in the United States should go to war on behalf of the government that's mistreating them at home. He just he just yeah. had an issue yeah. with that. And uh, yeah. and he let it be known that that was his position, you know. Wow. And, now, and of course, people need to learn a lot about Wilmot Blyden. I mean, that uh, another scholar in his own right. Believe me, Blyden, oh, uh, Blyden, Blyden work is just. You, you know, people don't realize that Blyden was one of the most intellectual. High, one of the, I mean, he was he was the black person in the 19th century. They had a lot of respect in European in the European area. Really, he was ambassador to England. Um, 
from uh, from a thing like beer or Sears alone. Uh, oh. You really, oh, you got to read Blyden. Blyden, Blyden yes. is really, and, and you read his work. You could tell he was well learned. Uh, yes. He, he was. He was. He really, and that foundation that he got in the Virginians was what uh, was responsible for him going above and beyond to the point where I think he was the president of Liberia College. He yeah. was ambassador to the court of St. James uh, from Liberia. And, uh, and between Liberia and Sierra Stallone, he was a well-recognized, well-recognized gentleman from St. Thomas. I mean, I mean he yeah. came all the way from St. Thomas. And, and his foundation, education, yeah, I mean, his, his yeah. foundation. Awesome, yes. awesome. Blyden, Wilma Blyden. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think it's a book called, yeah, Islam, Christianity, and the Negro Race, or something like that. Uh, okay. It's a, it's a, it's about three or four hundred pages long. Wow. And uh, oh yeah, yeah, you get, you got to read Blyden's work. I gotta encourage yes. your listening audience to uh, yes. look up Edward Wilma Blyden uh, of uh, of uh, Liberia, you know, and and they will, he will, they'll get. I mean, they'll get a real, uh, they'll become full and rich with uh, information about this man from the Virgin Islands, you know? And the same yes. goes for Harrison, too. Harrison yes. is the same way. You just got to read about these guys. Huh? And, and let's also amazing. say what, uh, what we were talking about, the foundation that we have, you know? Yes, it's amazing what came out of this Danish West Indies that eventually became the U.S. Virgin Islands. We had people yeah. who were way ahead <laughs> of the times, exactly. Well, yeah, and it's, it's a shame we we could have been further ahead if um, yes, if, yes. if the Danish government had sustained the efforts of those who tried to establish a college or a university here. Yes, you can imagine if they were able to follow through with that. Oh yeah, uh, we would have been much farther ahead than, than we more, are right now. A lot more PhDs yeah. in the island. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, now, let me yeah. Ask you well, this. yeah. Go ahead. Quick question. In the classroom, did they separate the students by by gender, with the boys in the front and the girls in the back? Or I, I believe that uh, yeah, I believe uh, they didn't have separate classrooms, but they did separate them by by genders, uh, by yeah. gender, meaning meaning the boys on one side and the girls on yes. the next side, and so on. Yes. And I you know when we were growing up in school, uh, there was some semblance of that in some areas, not all areas. Catholic schools. Yeah, I don't remember in public I school that taking place with me, but I, I think that yeah, uh, yeah. it was it was a practice in, in private school. Sometimes, you know? yeah, not all the time. Yeah, yeah, they did, they did, they did, they did, they did, they did that. But it was um, the the efforts of uh, a joint effort of all. I mean, we just we can't uh, don't forget now. I think we got to remind our people that this whole educational system was yes. in the environment of a slave society so that yes. so that the Moravian missionaries were always uh, conscious of the, the planters and how far they could go with what they were doing. For example, they did not teach arithmetic, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't teach arithmetic, and, and uh, they, were, they, were, they, weren't really, they were teaching a lot of rote learning, you see. And yes. uh, and uh, I mean the teacher arithmetic after when they after 1839 when they began the whole the the free and compulsory education but prior to yes. that they didn't want the slave population to to become uh, educated about 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 mathematics and how to do what you know why and, that? and why so that was that was that was that what they refrained from those kind of things there's some things that they didn't do you know but why why was that Ron? Well, that's because they didn't want the slaves to go uh, to begin plotting uh, any revolution or or go. rebellion, you yeah. know, rebellion. Yeah. They figure uh, they figure that um, that if they learn too much, they learn to read and write too much, then they may rebel against the the slave the slave the plantation owners. Yeah. And uh, even though even though the 1733 revolt in Saint John was prior to the arrival of the Moravians. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. You know, wow, wow. so so that that didn't that didn't require any um, any any uh, whole lot of schooling. Even though I would I would I would be glad to say that um, that there were Africans, enslaved Africans, who came mm-hmm. to the Danish West Indies, who who were well learned. I mean, they 
they know yes. they know to read and write in their own language. In their language, so, yeah. so that uh, they were not they were not illiterate people, and and right. people need to understand that uh, that you know. So by the time yeah. they were um, when they got their they they did school language was another language that they learned, but they knew yes. they some of them could read and write uh, and so on, so they knew that. So we didn't, we didn't uh, I think that came out in uh in in one of the books I read, you know. Uh-huh. So you how did it, how did the educational transition go from the Danish days to the American system? Was it a smooth transition? Uh yeah, it was rather but I think that uh I knew I'm I'm doing a piece on that. I'm writing a piece for the Daily News on that. I think that uh okay. that the the Danes were always in were, from six from eighteen sixty seven. Mm-hmm. The Danes have tried to uh, was in negotiations with the United States sell the islands to the United States, and I think that okay. that's well known and so on. It made one attempt in sixteen uh, in eighteen sixty seven, and then uh, they did it again in nineteen o three, I think, or nineteen o five, and then finally. Finally, in uh, in 1917, they would transfer, so that um, so that the the Danes were always uh, for over a long period of time trying to trying to uh, sell the islands to the United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's interesting is that the Danish government never never until about 1912 or something made any attempt to go beyond the seventh or eighth grade. With education, oh, you see, they never, they never did uh, until, and then by the time they got around to that, it was too late because um, the the war came about in, when they were doing the final negotiation. Yeah. But the Danish government was never interested in the high school uh, for the enslaved population or the population of this was Indian, and uh, and that really may have had some impact on. Uh, Mm-hmm. On higher education and training, you see, may have had, yeah, may have had. So, yeah. so what? So when we trans, when we transfer, so when, so when we transfer, the, let me get back to that. You're right. The transfer. Yeah. One of the things that we learned in the transfer was the Americans, the Americans uh, felt the need to Americanize the former yeah. Danish citizens. Yeah. In other words, yeah. and, and and that's that's well written somewhere. You know, it say I have it written in my piece. Uh, the Americans, the Americans say that we you know we need to Americanize, Americanize these uh, these people because they uh, they now have a, a new leadership and their values have to reflect those of Americans. So uh-huh. that's what they did. They they embarked on a program to Americanize the uh, the people of the Danish West Indies. And uh, the former Danish West Indies, I should say, and then leading up to what we have today, I think that's what that's what we have. They felt strongly that if there's going to be any teacher teaching the students, especially above the uh, the, the seventh grade, and they have to be American teachers. Uh, it couldn't be anybody less. You see, wow. so really a very interesting uh, development. Very yeah. interesting development. So, so none of those slaves who are advanced who were well educated in the system could not become a teacher at all because Americans wouldn't allow that. Is that correct? Well, 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 uh, they, well they eventually gave in. What we're saying is that, don't forget, the emancipation was in, in 1848. By the time of emancipation, we would have had, uh, we had compulsory education. So uh-huh. by the time, what the Danish began, what the Danish began to do was, those students who finished the seventh grade, or whatever grade, the highest grade, they have seventh or eighth grade, they put the, them to teach the, the early students, the yes. younger ones, the younger ones. Yes. That yes. was their means. Because after eighth grade, you went out on your work. There was no further yeah. school after eighth grade. You see? Exactly. So yeah. they allowed people to go and teach, you see? It wasn't until um, until Americans came in that they began to develop the system of education from 9 to 12. I see. Uh, that yeah, that's what happened. You see, so it's really, it's really an interesting development uh, in, in in that um, the system, the system that the Danes, trans, the Danes uh, left for the 
for the for the United States did not include anything beyond beyond seven or eight grade, you know. Yeah, so the yeah, Americans yeah. came in and they added nine, ten, eleven, and twelve yeah. to the system. You see, they added that, and those people, and then not only they added, but but during from 1920 to 1930, the whole system was really in a, in a kind of disarray under the American system. Uh, some years they had 10 grade, 11 grade, or one year they didn't have another grade, and so on, until they finally resolved all those issues, you know. And then the classroom uh, buildings, yeah, the classroom buildings themselves moved, because at one time the classroom ah, was yeah, yeah. The, the commanding guard of school. And then at one time, that was, it was, that was where we had the school. Yes. Yeah. But also, the, uh, the present office where the Commission of Education is, that building that's facing yes. the street, used yes. to be the vocational school. So uh-huh. you, go three, you, had, you had that building, you had the, um, the where the commanding guard of school is. I read in, a, yes. I read in an article uh, the other day where Britannia, I think, uh, what a hall is called for Lutheran Church, Britannia Hall. Yeah, Britannia Hall, yes. Uh, Britannia Hall, that was also used as a place for the students to uh, attend school, legislature building. So they really had to be all over the place because what happened was the population, the school population continued to increase. Outgrew the building. See, and they had had to to find additional room for the the people as well. Yeah. Yes, yes. There's quite a little history behind the legislature building itself because it wasn't always a legislature building. It was a barracks. It became a classroom, and it's not that long ago either. Because in in our generation, I guess our parents might have been at the legislature as a student, at yeah. the legislature building it when they were there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I saw one time also where um, they were using the legislature building, and I believe that during the war uh, or before, World they had to evacuate that building to make provisions yeah. for the. Um, for the U.S. Marines to stay there. They were kind of kicked out of that building, you know, for a little while, you know. Yeah, that's what it was. That's what it was. Very, very interesting history. Wow. This is quite a hit. But by and large, it was a really, uh, I think, I think uh, when you compare our system uh, with the American system, even though they're much farther ahead in terms of, of higher education, uh, we our foundations came very early in, in as as uh, many of us who were in, part of the enslaved population. Um, yes, that came early for us, you know, and which which we yeah. thankful for. Thank goodness, yes, I just want to say that. Yeah, yeah. So that's one of the yeah. good things that came out of slavery days, if if you can call it that. <laughs> if, yes, if oh, definitely, definitely. Out of slavery, that was one. Definitely. Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah, wow. yeah. I think I think there's so much history to be uh, to be shared with uh, in the Danish West Indies, you know. Yeah. Um, but I'm really I'm really amazed that we were much so much was be, was able to be accomplished yes. in in a, in a slave society that had some severe, really draconian slave laws. Oh, and, yeah. uh, and you know, you wonder how much. How often were they carried out? Uh, you know, and yeah. they had a lot of maroonage with the with the people going to the BBI, going to Vieques, yeah. running away. A lot of a lot of runaways. You know. Yeah. See? Two two quick words yeah. that came out of the old the old vocabulary that people may not recognize today. Maroon, uh, the runaway slaves, mm-hmm. and then uh, yeah. the other one. I, I'll come back to that in a minute. But right, explain that to the audience, please. Maroon. Well, Maroon, I think you need to know that uh, in 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 uh, in all slave in after all slave populations, you have you have run away slave yes. slaves who run away from uh, from their masters and uh, and the plantations, and yes. uh, and went into went to live into the uh, into the brush into the mountains and so on. So once yes. once they run away and started a life. In the mountains, away from the slave society, they be, that that's the group they call maroon people. The maroon themselves yes. into into those uh, the inner into the into the wilderness or the bushes or something, yes. the forest, the trees, the areas they yeah. got, uh, and get away. Yeah. And many times they send uh, the planters and the the Danish officials or where have you, we send parties out to try and uh, capture them. Yes. But some of these people live so deep into the into the forest. That they weren't able to do that, 
And well, also, people Mahone, they, uh, they, uh, I know in the Danish Times, I read some articles where, where you know, boats will come all the way from Tartola to St. Croix to, uh, to collect runaways uh, and so wow. on. People, are, you know, I'm telling you, and, and some will run away from St. Croix to Vieques, St. Thomas wow. to Vieques, and so on. And especially when the when the British government had emancipated their slaves in 19 in 1834, mm-hmm. at least how many years? That's the uh, 1834. Go to 15 years prior to the uh, the, the Danish emancipation. So people mm-hmm. were. Those people running away in, in, in the Danish West Indies and then taking the boat over to into the British Virgin Islands. Wow. So really, uh, it was you know a very complex situation in, in, in the Danish yeah. West Indies at the time. You know. That, that's very another complex. reason why. That's another reason why we have our genealogy mixed between the Tortolo, the British Virgin Islands, and the U.S. Virgin Islands because. Our folks are constantly interchanging themselves. Oh yeah, yeah. There's there's no because question about that. There's a yeah. There's a large yeah. population of uh, BVIOs here. Yeah. Uh, who made this place their home, and it goes back centuries back and, and centuries. centuries. Yeah. Yeah. This it just happened yesterday. I know. Now the other word it's I want to like you to to share with our audience is the word you you mentioned several times, draconian. And uh, please explain oh, yeah. that to the <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you know, draconian uh, slave laws were those slave yes. laws uh, so where they chop people's hands off, yes. chop off their feet if they, if they run away and they came back, if they got caught and came back. Uh, it means severe, yes. severe Brutal. punishment, draconian. Brutal. Draconian means yes. really severe punishment yes. that were inflicted upon the slaves once they were caught, if they attempted to run away or if they stole uh, goods or something, they got lashes on their backs yeah. that uh, really left serious marks on their skins and so on. Yeah. So that, uh, the real draconian laws were in place uh, wow. in this society in the Danish West Indies. It's just that, that uh, you know, I, I have to do some more research for how, yeah. how did these laws, how were they implemented and how many, how many Times were they used to punish people uh, in the Christian days? I got a theory on that. Because okay, oh, what's the theory? Slave, okay, another word. The word chattel, C H A T T E L. The, the yeah. slaves were considered chattel, and chattel was property. So if you had property, yeah, yeah. you could do whatever you want your property. Just as just as your yeah. cow would be your property, you could kill a cow, slaughter yeah. a cow, punish a cow. Abuse a cow and nothing, you haven't committed any crime, so you want to go to jail. You can say you're sending with a horse, a pig, or any animal. Well, to the slave owners, slaves were considered animals, the next animal, because they were property. In fact, they had a special name for those enslaved people. They were called chattels. So, therefore, yes. you could brutalize the heck out of them, and there was no laws to be broken, there was no justice to be, to be handed out. So therefore, that's where the brutality just went rampant. It went wild. It went crazy. And yeah. I mean, going to yeah. extremes, chopping the hands off, a person's hand off because they were hungry and they took something extra to eat. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You good point. Good, good point. Good point. I think that um that that needs to be said. I think that yes. uh, it's interesting that uh. People don't look at it that way uh, when in, when we look at it from this from from today's point of view. But you're right. Yes. They were property, and you could you couldn't tell them. Yes. The Danish. This is the interesting thing about the Danish government. The Danish yes. government recognized that the slaves were property, yes. even though they they really pushed the envelope uh, in terms of making provisions for the Moravian missionaries to to come on board. You see, because the yes. Danish government could have uh, could have said we don't we don't want we don't want you to come in. The Danish government recognized the right to own property, and the slaves were yes. property. The Danish government couldn't tell a slave owner what to do with his property. He could encourage yes, him, sir. but he couldn't he couldn't do that. What's do interesting yes. uh, with uh, with this whole thing about is the you familiar with the with the hanging of Arthur Hodge in the BVI? I think so. That's quite a while back. Yeah, this was the hanging of a white man for yeah. killing his slave. Wow. He was hanged. Wow. 
Yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's, that's unheard of anywhere in the world. The There's no place else in the world where you yeah. have a white slave owner, owner. who was yeah. hanged for killing his slave. That wow. happened in the British Virgin Islands. There's a book yeah. on that out, and I have a copy of the book. And it makes for it, it makes an interesting discussion. Yeah. And uh, maybe one of these days we can talk about that. But yeah, uh, right. and in the context of draconian slave laws and how how we able to forge a system of education in the midst of those draconian slave laws and in the midst of of uh, of African American Africans, African slave Africans being treated as chattel. You know, and you know what yeah. I mean. We you can really yeah. uh, get people to understand why people will treat people this way, and and so on and so forth. Uh, and but it's it's a really interesting topic, you know, and it needs to be yes, uh, for a, for a, for a develop, you know. Sure. Well, before we have to run out of here, let me just ask you this quick question. Let's switch over to genealogy. You're involved with the Genealogy Society. How could our local folks who would like to know more about their genealogy get involved? Uh, as, yeah, as uh, yes, uh, thank you for that. Uh, I'm president of the Virgin Genealogical Society. And mm-hmm. uh, most of the time, and we also, uh, we, uh, we, we, we had a workshop not too long ago at the Caribbean Genealogy Library. And there you can mm-hmm. find many of our members who were there to do research. We not, it's two different organizations, but we work, we work together to promote genealogical research in the Virgin Islands and elsewhere as well. Uh, so if you're interested uh, in genealogy research, you can call me uh, or any one of our members. Uh, but my number is uh, 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 six, no, in, uh, my number is yeah, 998-0920. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. if you go by the library in uh, Cohen Plaza, you can ask for me. Or uh, Many times you'll find members of a society there doing research. But that's a good okay. place to go. We 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 promote them there. Uh, we believe it's a good place to do genealogical research and research on on Virginia's history as well. They have a lot of uh, local uh, texts that where you can do some research in the Virgin Islands as well. Amazing, amazing. There's a lot going sure. on in this little island. In all these little islands, all four of them. Yeah, and what we're doing, what we're doing is we uh, as uh, we the genealogical society, we're trying to connect. Virgin Islanders with their, with their, with the ancestors who traveled to Dominican Republic, to Puerto Rico, and to Cuba and yes. Panama, and uh, we have projects dealing with those uh, those connections. And right now we were in Santiago de Cuba where we met in we were in Guantanamo, where Guantanamo Cuba where we met some people from uh, from uh, who whose parents and family were from the Virgin Islands, you know, yes. and they're anxious to. To find out more about their family who's in the Virgin Islands, and we helping them to do that. Did you come across Mr. Labit? <laughs> no, <Remember him>? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't go looking for him, or, or we, didn't, we didn't come across him. No problem. Leave us alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good enough. Okay, good sure. Enough. Well, it was All nice right, talking well. with you today, talking Stay to the listening audience. Stay it's here. a pleasure. Thank you. I'm always available to uh, assist yes, whenever are. I can. In oh, dealing yes. with this area of um, oh, yes. of education, uh, history of education in the, in the Virgin Islands. Dr. Harrigan, we can't thank you enough for sharing your knowledge with our folks, with our listeners. No problem. Both no local problem. as well as okay. those abroad. It's been a pleasure. No thank problem. you, thank you, thank you. All Have right, a good well, day. Yeah, I appreciate it. You do too. Okay, bye-bye. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Folks, folks, that's something that ITS can thank him enough because he's willing to do all this on his own. On his own time and at his own expense. So, Dr. Harrigan, you're one of a kind. A true Virgin Islander helping other Virgin Islanders wake up to what we've been exposed to. Folks, this is the kind of stuff that we do on this show. We're looking at our contemporaries. A lot of us who are pioneers in more ways than one. Please come forward. Let us know who they are so we can acknowledge them while they're still here with us. We don't want to wait until they're gone and say, okay, they became one of our ancestors. Well, let's talk about them while they're still our contemporaries. So if you have any contemporaries you know about, by all means, share the word. Share it with us. We'd be happy to interview them, have them share their story with us. So until next time, this is ATNA Gives without Dr. Richardson. Hope you'll be back with us next week. But in the meanwhile, hang in there. Keep our number 
347-237-4374. And we'll catch you next week. So long for now, folks. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.